Yeah, it looks like it might be. Oh. Do you have slides? Yeah. No. Here, give me the. Yeah, this is. Taking all my toys away. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Okay. Um, I, this might be seem like a a bad bit of information to you now, but I'm noticing that it's already ten after eleven. I'm just saying. It's already late. In Colossians, Paul discusses Jesus in a way not seen elsewhere, to the extent that uh, some have even suggested that Paul was not the author. Somebody else uh, wrote this. Uh, but for those of us who have a strong sense of God's word being God-breathed, that he's involved in this, that the scripture is inspired of God, it just looks simply like God used Paul in a particular way in writing to the Colossians and probably the Laodiceans also to bring a particular part of his message. And so Colossians focuses heavily on Jesus in a way that other books do not. Clearly, this uh, oversight of God, this management that God has in providing different pieces of the puzzle through different authors speaks loudly of his sovereign control. Jesus, God, can say what he wants through whomever he wants, whenever he wants. And so Colossians is unique. It's Christological is the big word they use for it, which just means it has a lot of stuff about Jesus. It teaches about Jesus in ways that other books do not. That's just what God has chosen to do here. And so we're going to try to get what we can from this um, in, again, trying to make application in our lives. What is Jesus about and how does that address me? How does that impact me? So um, you'll remember, uh, maybe, if you were here, that a few weeks ago when we looked at Colossians chapter 1, we looked at Christ being first and foremost, different aspects of his first and foremostness. And uh, so chapter 2, logically, continues where chapter 1 ends. Paul has so far emphasized his role in making disciples or in making known the mystery of God, Christ in you. And he built that on a, the foundational platform. He launched off this platform that we see in Colossians chapter 1 of these things about Jesus. Some, some heavy things about Jesus and what he did and where he came from and how he was part of creation. And uh, he used that to tell us uh, who Jesus is and what he has done and what his role is in facilitating our salvation. Now, similar to that then, how central that is, we're focusing on that. Not Jesus first and foremost, but Jesus being central. From him flow all things pertaining to life and godliness. Now, that's a quote you might recognize out of Peter. Peter says that we have these things because of what God has, with his power, given us, but it's centered in Christ. Jesus is central with that. So let's then have a quick look at how Jesus is central to our whole existence. I'm going to read the text here again. Um, Colossians chapter 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf, and for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, 
that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and your stability of faith in Christ Jesus. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority, and in him... You were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised you from the dead, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your transgressions and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having cancelled out the debt or the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Therefore, let no one act as your judge, in regard to food or drink, or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking a stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, not, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with the growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with the using in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of, are of no value against fleshly indulgence. It seems to be that Paul is countering uh, Gnosticism here. Uh, we err if we look for Gnosticism in in all of his writings, but it's interesting with the Gnostic tendency to focus on special information or special knowledge, seems to come out here, on, uh, on a special way to be saved, you know, that cosmic spark, that divine spark that sort of infuses some people but not others, uh, 
and, and their severe treatment of the body with a dualistic view of the good spirit and the bad flesh, the bad body part, they, um, as it were, treated the body badly, denying the body. And so we see some of the stuff coming out in the text. And he was probably countering that. The thing for us, though, is that these things are pertinent today even. We might not come across Gnosticism itself, but we know that God's Word is written for all of us throughout time, and we can focus and learn from these things, focus on these things and learn from here too. Um, just by the way, how does Hebrews 8 relate? Thank you, Hayden, for reading that section. God's doing something with us here that He prepared for over years. Christ in us. That's Colossians 1, right? It comes up again here in chapter 2. This is mystery of the indwelling Christ, of being connected to Him. And that is what Hebrews 8, quoting Jeremiah, for instance, is talking about. God was going to come live in us. It would be something that would transform, I mean, transform our hearts and our minds. This is what God was about, what He's trying to do. And so here then, we're going to look at three things briefly, I guess, now. Um, firstly, that Jesus is central to true knowledge and wisdom and understanding. Jesus is central to salvation. And Jesus then is also uh, central, according to my notes, to our lifestyle.